0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. <laughs> Plus.
1: My name is Sheila Atim, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. Now she's the Olivier Award winning star of stage and the big screen that's proudly leading the charge as the West End begins its reopening. She's joining an all-star group of famous faces rotating in rep as the Donmar Warehouse's artistic director, Michael Longhurst, returns to direct his West End and Broadway hit, Constellations. Nick Payne's beautiful and heartbreaking romance includes the likes of Peter Capaldi, Zoe Wanamaker, Omari Douglas, Russell Tovey, Anna Maxwell, and, well, this person, among many of its stars. But this is not the only place you'll have seen her on stage, as she has stage credits including Shakespeare's Globe, In the West End, The National Theatre, The Donmar Warehouse, The Old Vic, and throughout the UK. Plus, she's also on Amazon, The Big Screen, and cast albums, music, recordings, I think you get it. It's a pretty big understatement to say she's one of the finest we have currently leading the charge in the world of performing. And of course, she is probably most known for her unreal and frankly heartbreaking performance in the original production of Girl from the North Country. I'm still not over it, and I don't think I ever will be. Oh, and she's also been made an MBE for services to the world of drama. So here, direct from backstage in an actual theatre in the actual West End, it's time to discuss the big reopening and return of live theatre. Why starring in Constellations was a challenge she simply couldn't turn down. Why she's hopeful a new and more inclusive West End is now upon us. Working at some of the most beloved venues that I just mentioned, including Shakespeare's Globe, playing opposite Mark Ryland, and the lessons she learnt from their intense stage interactions. Why winning an Olivier and being awarded her MBE isn't everything, but it's pretty special still even today how she devised and workshopped her now signature number in Girl from the North Country, plus why she's proudly embracing a goddess status that I donned her with during this conversation rather proudly. That's goddess MBE to you and I. It's a dream guest incoming as superstar Sheila Atim MBE is here now on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. To meet with current restrictions and to stop the possible spread of COVID-19, Sheila and I connected for this conversation digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Now I've doomed about this moment as she is one of, if not, my ultimate dream guest here on Eleven. So here we go. Please help me welcome to this, the next episode of Eleven. It's Goddess and Olivia Winner. Sheila Atim M B E the M B E is the important bit. Are you there? How are very you? Cute. How are you? I
1: like Goddess. That was
2: nice. We could put Goddess in all the way through. Yeah. It seems very fitting because I am, as I was just saying to you, completely <sighs> obsessed with you. So you are a goddess to me. So which I'll <sighs> tell you more about in a second. But thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to see you after what's been well, it's been a pretty rough sort of year. So to be able to be talking about theatre coming back just feels like an honor and a privilege. And I can imagine. For you, it's an honour and a privilege to be at the centre of it and actually being able to see audiences again. You know, theatre is back. I
1: know there have been a few theatrical performances spread out through the course of the last year and... and things going up and then having to close and um, you know, mainly at the national theater and places. But it's really nice to be a part of the kind of grand reopening, as it were, the, the big wave where most yeah. theaters are finding a way to open at you know, 50% capacity. It was really special to be a part of that because the industry, I mean the whole world, but the industry really went through it over the past 18 months. It's really been going through it. And so it's nice. It feels like a big celebration you know, of what we do and yeah, it's just like a reminder that that what we have chosen as careers is really special and I'm yeah I'm I'm so I'm so I'm so made up to be a part of it
2: so performance number one just that moment before you walk on stage did you sort of have to take a beat in a moment and go it's
1: really happening yeah but mainly because the play is really hard (laughs) so it was it was (laughs) more (laughs) about like oh my oh my god we're we're doing it now in front of people which, which you get with with pretty much every show but it was intensified with this one. You know, it's a two-hander, it's it's a brilliant play, but it's it's complex, you know, f- mm. for an actor to have to grapple with, it's, it's technically quite complex. So it did feel like the rehearsal just completely disappeared. Um, and suddenly we were doing it for real people, for real, for real, people who have paid money, so we'd better be good at it. Um, so it was more, it was more to do with that. Um, But then what was really nice was hearing the audience reactions in any rehearsal process. There is a tendency to forget that there's going to be a group of people who are watching it the other side and who are going to be reacting and responding. And this play is also very funny. So there's a lot of back and forth between the audience and the cast. But uh, particularly after such a long time of having not done it, that that um, that feeling is intensified where you can just get so in your head and you forget that it is actually a dialogue between you, the cast, and all these, you know, hundreds of other people, however many other people there are watching you. Um, So that was really nice. I think once we got that first show out of the way, it was still, you know, still a lot of work to do, but it was a really nice feeling to get it done.
2: Absolutely. I should say that the play is called Constellations. It's live in the West End. And it's part of this really sort of refreshing series. And actually it seems completely terrifying to schedule. So whoever's managed to do this, like probably had a lot of sleepless nights because there are multiple different casts playing the same roles, but switching it up during different weeks and different schedules, which mean that people get to see a variety of different people. Um, I know a heck of a lot of people are coming to see literally every cast. It's like, I mean, oh, to be fair, how are you supposed to pick? I mean, it's literally impossible. Yeah. It's the creme de la creme. And for you just... Does this idea and this concept, if that's the right way to describe it, does that make it interesting for you to be part of an ensemble piece while also then being part of a group of people? And obviously you having to sort of, obviously you have to do it essentially at the end of the day and it's down to you. But does, does sort of mixing up make it exciting and interesting for you as a creative?
1: Yeah, I think it's exciting because even though I'm not, I'm not necessarily interacting with the other who's in that very direct way, it's nice to be a part of a project that is, attempting to do something ambitious and there's a lot of chat about representation you know in artistic industries so it's nice to see a theatre not just throwing open its doors well the vaudeville's doors with um you know something that's a a show but it's also trying to do it with something that is trying to say something, trying to address the things that we've all learned over the last year and a half. You know, there's been a that particular conversation, I think, was really intensified because of the events of last year. And because we were all stuck in our houses and, and had nothing else to think about. Yeah, I think f- it's nice to to kind of have it going on around me, if that makes sense. Even yeah. though I'm not necessarily acting with Russell Tovey or acting with Chris O'Dowd, I'm only acting with Ivana Jeremiah. But and I, and I have seen Peter and Zoe, Peter Capaldi and Zoe, I want to make a sort of in passing. We were wave to each other, and yeah, it's nice to it's nice to know that it's happening, and it's also nice to be able to tackle um, this play which has historically only been done by white people and usually middle-class white people of a certain age. I think, that, I think the cast have been more or less in their 30s or at least the characters have been aimed to be in their, in their 30s and I am 30 but it's different being a, a black woman in her 30s. Yeah it, that, that part of it is interesting and was a big, big part of the draw for doing this job.
2: And it's so nice, not sort of jumping too heavy to start with, but it's nice, as you say, to see that hopefully the discussions, the very important discussions that have happened around racial equality, but also within queerness, within the roles of women, and putting that everybody, sort of giving everybody a seat at the table, it is nice that one of the first shows that comes back, sort of the first half of the reopening, does try and aim to answer or at least give some answers to that. That feels, uh, I think I'm, I think it'd be fair in saying I feel hopeful about that.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think... What's really great about it is that, I mean, there there is there is a kind of producing model. It's a new producing model as well, from what I understand. So, you know, the, the theatre itself, the vaudeville theatre, is running more than eight shows a week in order to accommodate us all in rep and to be able to make, sort of, you know, generate enough revenue for this to be a sort of an actual viable production or project. Um, but it's really nice to know that... The, one of the first things that's come back, as I said earlier, is being ambitious in that way. I think people were really worried that there was going to be sort of trepidation or caution or um, this kind of seeping in of a, of a safety or a fear around what should be programmed next in a time when theatres were fina- financially struggling or at least had taken quite a big hit. You know, So it's nice to know that artistic directors and creators still want to be bold and they actually do want to incorporate some 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 new ideas and things that, like you said, have addressed um, the conversations that we've been having over the last year and a half and, and things that may, from the outside, appear risky, you know, in, in terms of, um, as opposed to going for a, something that's a sure bet, you know. Yeah. There are a lot of theaters who are putting on new writing as well, which is really great to see in, in their first season. So... Um, yeah, I'm really glad about that because I think that was one of the main things. Everyone was like, oh no, we're going to be doomed to like same old productions of stuff that no one necessarily wants to see again and again, but we're doing it because we feel like we have to. Um, yeah. And people are actively resisting that.
2: Does it feel, it's sort of the biggest, most generic question ever, but does does it feel different post-COVID? Is is there a different sense in terms of the stories we're telling, but also the way in which we're interacting with each other as human beings?
1: Yeah, I think I think human connection is... is There are so many ways that you can connect with people, right? And for a lot of people, theatre is one of those, whether it's connecting, feeling like you're connecting with the actors on stage because they're telling you this story, or you're connecting with the audience around you because you're all laughing together at the same thing, or you're connecting with the person who sells you an ice cream in the interval, or whatever it is, you know? I can really feel people savoring that experience.
2: Do you remember when you first were sort of the opportunity to, to be part of this show was sort of presented to you? Do you remember what it was particular? Was it perhaps the material? Was it an opportunity that you had before to see the show? Do you remember sort of what it was that made you go, actually, this is something that I'd like to be part of at this point in my life?
1: Well, yeah, I never got to see the original production or any of the ones that, you know, were on subsequently, and I've always keep hearing about this play, consolations, consolations. And also, I I loved science. It just made a lot of sense to me to do it, and you know, my schedule was clear, and I was like, yeah, this just this just feels really great. And it it was a two hander, and it felt like something that I could really. Um, like dig deep into and have a lot of fun with and it was nice to be able to jump straight back into something that was very muscular you know I've been doing I've been doing bits of filming not for the whole um uh for the whole lockdown period but sort of from November onwards I had a few bits here and there and filming is a very different experience and it can be quite um, isolated at times because you just kind of come in for your bit and then you disappear and that's fine but um You know, in terms of having something to really sort of tear apart and and chew up, I hadn't had that really for a while. So um, it just kind of it presented itself and it was just kind of great and perfect. And then I read it and thought it was hilarious. And I was like, yeah, why not?
2: You mentioned about the sort of different approaches and and positions that you put yourself in as a creative, because you are also a writer and a composer as well, which is one of the things that I actually didn't know about you, which I thought was just completely fascinating. And I know that it links to a musical and you obviously co-writing with that as well, which I believe is your professional stage debut. Am I right in saying that?
1: Yeah. So this this is not quite true, but (laughs) for some reason on Wikipedia, it says that I also wrote part of the, the musical The Lightning Child. I didn't. But I have I have written music with Che Walker, who wrote the Lightning Child, yes, on other projects and some of his short films and and I wrote the music for a production of um, Doubt, a parable that he did at the Southwark Playhouse, um, and I wrote the music for uh, Time Is Love, which was a show that we did at the Theatre, and then yes. I also wrote the music for the songs for a play that I wrote that I took to Edinburgh called Anguish, so. Yeah, and it's it's funny, I haven't. I, I When lockdown came, I didn't sort of dig into the um, composing. I was more practicing my instruments because I realized it was just something that I hadn't done for ages to just play without it being a sort of um, goal orientated uh, practice. Um, but I did do some writing, you know, trying to write some things for screen and a few things for theatre. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of all circulating in this big stew pot (laughs) of of stuff um and I think again the one thing that the pandemic really taught me which is something that I've always kind of believed and tried to do throughout my life and career but even more so when the pandemic came around was just gotta just gotta get on it really (laughs) just gotta get on it and just I think the the whole thing of being present you know and okay right now constellations has landed on my door it's great. There's no reason to shy away from it. Let's do it, you know, and then opportunities keep popping up, you know, to, to write a poem here or to, to write a piece of music there. And, and yeah, I'm just trying to keep all of those plates spinning in a way that complement each other. Um, I'm still figuring it out.
2: I don't know if I'm more shocked at the fact that Wikipedia is wrong or that I took that information from a very reputable theatre site who's clearly taken it from Wikipedia. So I think a practice code.
1: That's (laughs) what I'm saying, man. You've got to be careful with this Wikipedia. I remember when I used Wikipedia for my homework. You just you gotta take it with a pinch of salt. But I, I think that I think yeah, I think there's probably some wires crossed because as I said, I have worked with Che in a musical capacity yes. many times. And I think there's probably just some wires getting crossed there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also really nice, you know, working with Che or whenever you find a collaborator that you feel like you can, you know, come back to again and again and again, because you just sort of, grow together or at least I really feel like I've grown as a composer having having worked with him um, and he's somebody who gives people a lot of opportunities as well so you know he's taken a chance on me and so many other uh, young people and said hey you can write this thing why not so it's sort of also taking that ethos that he's he's helped instill in me and just trying to continue that ambitious streak I guess is is what I'm trying to do next.
2: When you get to perform at locations like the Globe, Shakespeare's Globe Theatre, you know, the iconic signature, probably one of the most recognisable venues, I think it's pretty fair to say, in the world, do you sort of feel spoiled? Do you sit there going, this is actually really bloody cool?
1: Yeah, it is cool. It is cool. I mean, you know, I try, I try really hard not to give certain things too much reverence over others because it's all, it's all important, you know, and it's all, um, and everything's just different. Everything's just different. But I think that's what I love about it, being able to work in different mediums and different buildings with different companies on different projects um, and play some really, really different roles as well. I think that's one thing I've been really lucky with so far is that I've just been able to do quite a wide range of stuff, work with a wide range of um, creatives at a range of places. Um, And that's the bit that's exciting to me. You know, it's not just about working at the globe it's about being able to experience working at the globe and then also being able to experience working at the national which is down the road but is you know a a different theater (laughs) completely different in terms of its design and structure and and you know maybe the kinds of shows that it puts on and then to be able to do a tour in Lincolnshire you know which is one of the things I did earlier in my career and then work on some new writing and then work on some classics and then, you know, work on a, a revival like this. That's the thing that really gets me.
2: And to have teachers like Mark Rylance there to be able to learn from on a one-on-one basis, I can imagine is, you know, they say sort of practicality is the best way to learn stuff. But I can imagine being in that moment present with him. You you become a, I imagine, a bit of a sponge really.
1: Well, what was so interesting about working with Mark was that he's, obviously his knowledge of shakespeare is extensive but also he he ran that building right he kind of opened that building and ran that building so also his knowledge of the stage and the architecture as well was something that i'd never really experienced or i guess been able to benefit from in the in the same way with with other buildings where the 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 person that you're working with doesn't have that same connection to the place and it was really important actually because the globe is 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 a It's a tricky beast, that theatre, because it's it's so like it's it's its own character. It's kind of its own thing. And so you need to find a way to work with it. You're never going to be able to step on top of it and mask it from view. It's always going to be present. You've got these two huge pillars with this kind of marble pattern on them. And then you've got this gallery. And it's just like, you know, and then, of course, it's a big tourist attraction as well. Yeah. Um, and you've got the pit and the way people behave as audience when they are standing in a pit as opposed to seated is very different. You know, there's a lot more interaction. So it was all these things. Um, and I had actually worked at the Globe of my first job. Yeah. And it was a very different job. And that was, you know, not with Mark. But just to have some of those um, little nuggets of, of knowledge dropped in was really useful and so helpful. And yeah, just quite a unique experience.
2: Did it feel like a little bit like a homecoming going back to performing there, having done it previously?
1: Well, it was interesting because I was going back to very much to do a Shakespeare, (laughs) whereas the first time I'd done Chase play The Lightning Child, which it was an adaptation of a classic, an adaptation of The Bacchae, but was not um, classically, um, the the dialogue wasn't necessarily classical. It It was very modern and there was some sort of modern vignettes and stories kind of woven in. And it was this big, you know, terrible reviews, but it was one of the best things I'd ever done. And I had so much fun. Um, and it was this big just sort of raucous send up of, of theatre and music and sound and dance. Um, so it was like two very different <laughs> things. So it was interesting to kind of come back to the globe and go, oh, I'm actually doing a Shakespeare now. I'm actually doing it. A- <laughs> a <laughs> thing that the place was set up for interesting <laughs>
2: that's nice that's yeah, nice. That nice when I was um researching to chat with you today not that I needed too much knowledge because as I say I am a massive fan of yours yeah. but I was like Do you know what let I, I always sort of set myself a challenge of to learn things about somebody that I don't know like what yeah. can I sort of go oh I can learn this will sort of be a teaching point for me and I was just reading some of the reviews for Othello at the Globe and I found this one sentence that I was like, I've got to read this to you because it made me laugh so much and I was like so this is somebody writing about you they said she least a fury that blew the greatest actor of his generation off the stage and I was like I hope she apologized to Mark Rylance for that.
1: <laughs> it's, it's all fair and love and war man like if it, if it was in the show it was in the show I mean and Emilia by that point is very angry at Iago to be fair he's done some pretty bad things so I don't know I mean I think I think that fury might be justified you know um <laughs> i mean from where I was standing, Mark was still on the stage, so I, I, you yeah. know, I he 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 was he was fine just just for the record for for the listeners um <laughs> physically, he was okay yeah yeah i i remember, I remember that it's, that is a fantastic scene that final that final scene there's there's really not many things like it where you just get to the the kind of the momentum of it for for a media at least the way the 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 realization of everything is unfolding and the kind of the, all the complexities of all the feelings that are kind of coalescing in that moment is it's really nice to play that scene.
2: I did joke at the start about you being MBE, but it is an insane, insane achievement. And I just wondered, and this might make me sound very silly, but just, does it become normal, people saying that part of your name, or do people not really use it in sentences? Is it, I guess, how does it work?
1: Do you know what? The people who use it the most are my friends, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> they, like, they write me like birthday cards and everything like with MBE on the end, which I just, they're just, you know, they're, they're the best um yeah I mean it's 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 one of those things it's like with any other sort of accolade or award or you know something like that where they they mean they mean everything and nothing at the same time and that's not to diminish any of these things Like I really do believe in um you know awards being a celebration of people and of their work and i think that's a good thing i know sometimes they can come under fire by people but i I don't think there's anything wrong with that i think it's good to reward and acknowledge um you know we do that all through our lives from when you're a kid at sports day you know just to celebrate people and and achievements and trying and contributions um you know but at the same time it's it, it's you just have to keep doing what you were doing before. Um, and I think particularly with something like the MBE where it's not, um, I mean, I think somebody puts you forward for it, you know, and you don't really know anything about the process, but it, it's, not, it's not like the Olivier, for example, where even though I was really surprised to be nominated and then to win, it wasn't so far outside of the realms of my sort of um, awareness that I was like, oh, I will never, ever be up for an MBE. Whereas, up uh, for an Olivier, whereas the MBE like, literally came out of nowhere. And it's not like, oh, you're nominated for it. It's like, you've got one, do you want it? <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, sure, <laughs> okay, why not? So, and I think when it's something like that, you know, you got it for doing what you were doing. You mm. got it because you were just getting on with your work. And so you just have to continue doing that, you know, and, and not, Suddenly change what you're doing in response to that. That doesn't make any sense because the very reason why you got it was because you were just blissfully unaware, kind of carrying on with your life and your work in the way that you wanted to. And so I think it's really important to remember that whenever you receive any kind of accolade, is to really celebrate it for what it is, be happy, enjoy it, you know, and and be proud as well. Find real pride in that. Um, But to also ground yourself in the understanding that, you know, you've got to keep doing the same thing as always business as usual
2: you're so right in the difference between i guess the Olivier is fantastic and obviously you're being celebrated for perhaps playing somebody else whereas this is you just living you know just breathing just sort of existing
1: yeah yeah and it's you know you the title is services to drama so it's always services to and then whatever the field is so it's it's a celebration of everything that you are giving and contributing. To a particular sector. Um, and it's just not something because that could come at any time. Whereas we all know when the Olivier's are coming. And we all know that if you've done a show that is um, part of the Society of London Theatre, then you'll probably potentially be up one of the You know, we all sort of know. Whereas that is just could just come through your door. Also important to remember the flip side, which is that these things, are not the sort of sole validators of your work and of you, you know, it's, it's lovely to celebrate them when you get them, but equally, if you don't get them, it doesn't negate what you've done or, or make what you've done any less special. You know, the, the work is the work, the experiences that people have exist, whether I'd won those, that Olivier or not, whether I'd received the MBA or not, I'm still giving my services to drama either way, you know? Yes. So that's, that's what I mean by the everything and nothing. It's not to, it's not to kind of diminish or undermine those um, those celebrations, but it's just to kind of put everything into a wider perspective, I think, so that you can actually really enjoy them for what they are, rather than them having to become, you know, mutated into something else.
2: I feel like I'm doing a little bit of a disservice by sort of flying through some of the sort of key points of your career. So I should say that there are so many other projects and stuff that you've worked on that have just been phenomenally successful. And I did just want to give a little mention to the Underground Railroad because... I don't know what I expected. I had the pleasure of interviewing some of your castmates and it just, I think because it's such a thing of beauty in the way that it's been captured and the way that Barry's put it together that I think you get drawn into this world that you think, well, gosh, it's beautiful. And then of course the story comes along and it's sort of, breaks your heart and tears your heart apart but it's an extraordinary extraordinary piece on amazon so if anybody is looking for a different dose once they've come and seen you of course in constellations then i'd certainly say from a personal perspective and i'm, I'm pretty sure you'll agree it's certainly one to certainly want to check out with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time <gasps>
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary.
2: Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, there is one topic that I have avoided discussing with you because, and I probably get quite emotional talking about this, but there are two pieces of theater that changed my life Angels in America at the National Theater, just for all the reasons that I'm sure you could imagine, but then also Girl from the North Country, which I'm sure comes as very little surprise to you because I I know that people discuss it with you all the time because you did win an Olivia award, of course, for it. I had the pleasure of seeing you in the press area afterwards and telling you how much I loved you. And thank God you didn't run away. (laughs) I find it quite difficult when people say to me like, well, why are you so obsessed with that show? What was it? And I sort of don't really have an answer. And I feel like I should come up with a really good structured answer. but I think it's a gift. And I don't think, realistically these projects come along all that often and I guess without sort of dumbing down a a really important question do do you have words to describe why it's such a special show?
1: Not really no I mean I I think your your experience at least what you're describing is something that a lot of people have felt even people in the cast I know there were lots of cast members who said this show changed my life um and and even, even when I say it changed my life, I, again, I can't really explain why. And not because of the Olivier or, or any of that stuff, but it just, I just never worked on a project like it. I'd never done anything like it, both in terms of the, the actual piece itself and the tone of it and the, the structure and the story, but also just the process, the rehearsal process, working with that many talented lovely, generous people who were all so different, genuinely, really different, but we just all tessellated perfectly. We just all understood each other and got each other. Um, but we're so different in our sensibilities. I've, I've never really had an experience like that. And I think maybe Underground Railroad was kind of similar. Again, it was filming, so I didn't come into contact with anyone, everyone, but it, it just, yeah, it, it is really difficult to describe. And I think sometimes that's okay not everything needs to be explained, you know? And I think also that the transience of theatre as well, kind of, uh, and this might sound a bit sort of overblown and romantic, but the the transience of theatre means that it is this kind of moment and then it's gone and it's sort of like this fairy dust. And when you're trying to describe it to people maybe who didn't see it, they're just just not going to get it because they just weren't there and that's fine because they'll be present for something else. And I think in an age where... Everything is captured all the time by our phones and then and then put online or and every everyone feels this sort of constant impulse to capture everything. It's quite nice to have things where they are harder to capture in in explicit terms and I think that was I think that was partly if not intentional then I think that was definitely something that Connor was aware of and didn't mind you know mm. he Connor McPherson who wrote it and directed it he he he's all about that kind of fairy dust thing i mean he probably wouldn't call it fairy dust but you know he's 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 not trying to explain everything that's kind of the play was written in the spirit of that and that's that's you know a style that's woven into a lot of his stories i'm i like hearing how it made people feel um without having to hear a detailed analysis of what they thought works technically and what didn't and you know I think sometimes it's just you you just you just you're truthful to the feeling and that's all that matters you know that's the important thing because you can't control the feeling yeah, that's one exactly. thing that you can't control. You can't contrive it, you know? So if it made you feel something, then that's that's just, that's the truth. And that's what it is.
2: I agree. And it's, it was definitely about that moment. And that seems like the the classic sort of theatre response of like, oh, you had to be in the moment. But I think I always describe it as like, you sort of miss a beat when you're in that show because you're, you feel like everything stops for a second. And that's yeah. when you get it in the heart. That's when you think, okay, so my heart almost feels like it skipped that beat because it belonged in this moment. And therefore you go, okay, now, now it got me, now it gets me. And I think it's down to perhaps just from my experience as an audience member, just the simplicity of the fact that it wasn't trying to overcomplicate a story that was very very real like everybody could find themselves in at least one of those characters and also just the overwhelming desire to do the right thing for your family and i think so often in theater we sort of we talk about family in a very dramatic sense actually this was just someone trying to do the right thing
1: i, I think and there were a few sort of events in the play but but as you say it, it was a bit more uh, ethereal in that sense a bit more mm. esoteric and um, it wasn't focused on creating a sort of dramatic arc that we could all see coming, um, and you, you you were just watching people. You're just watching people going through life, but it was done in such a way that I think just took people off guard somehow. So it wasn't it wasn't boring. It didn't feel mundane to watch, and I think obviously the music, Bob Dylan's music, and then the arrangements that Simon Hale orchestrated as well, just just kind of gave this sort of beautiful transcendence to what is just struggles. You know, people going through a time like the Great Depression in the US and everyone just trying to survive and trying to lean on each other to do that. But also sometimes not being able to and and sometimes clashing and, you know, maybe not being the best for each other despite all of their efforts. And they're just really, really basic human things that we all go through. Um, but I think, yeah, I I don't, I don't really, I still don't really understand how Connor did it, but he somehow made everything surprising still, you know, a a character like, um, Elizabeth played by Shirley Henderson, completely her own, you know, Mm. where did she come from? She's, you know, for those who didn't see it, she's a character with early onset dementia and she's just this kind of almost like a seer or an oracle. Yeah. Yeah, It was, it was, yeah, extraordinary. I don't, I don't, I, I don't really get it. (laughs) <laughs> I,
2: it. I'm so I just thought it was me I was like oh, I don't know I don't know how right. to describe it but I'm so glad you feel that way and of course your iconic um, iconic goddess status
0: fully, <laughs> fully fully
2: fully cemented with your Olivier Award performance I mean literally one of the quickest standing ovations I think I've ever seen on there and again just that song I mean you know tight connect just it's just a work of art. Do you remember the first time you you heard, I guess this version of it and did you sort of go oh my gosh like what wow.
1: So we made it up, you know. <laughs> I mean that if you hear the Bob Dylan version of it he he kind of speaks more or less the whole thing speaking yeah. to me and and with heavy emphasis on the speak. Um so there weren't really any notes. So I remember when Connor played it to me and I was like okay, so <laughs> what do we do with that? And he was like, well, we just got to make something up. And he sort of kind of sung, I think, i kind of got this in my head. It was like... And actually, to be fair, that's how we kind of sang through most of the songs as an ensemble. So every song, we would listen to the recording once and then we would all together in unison busk our way through it. And it was really, like, terrible but great because it wasn't... The standard thing that you do in musicals of we're going to bash out the notes on a keyboard and we're going to learn exactly where it's supposed to be. It was more sort of let's feel our way through and see naturally where our voices go. And you know we had real license to do that because that's kind of what Bob Dylan does himself when you when you listen to all the different recordings and versions of his songs they can be really wildly different. We weren't married to anything in particular. So we kind of had that day where Connor sort of sang those sort of five notes to me and then it was just up to me so we went away, sang and then each time we sang through it would would add something else and would try and do a little build and we'd try and create an arc to the song but it that was that was it like and then Simon orchestrated something around it and, and did backing vocals and, and instrumentation. And so it was it was really like that. And that was the way a lot of the songs built up. It wasn't that it was pre-written and we had to learn it at all. A yeah. lot of us really did create those songs, you know, all those yeah. those versions.
2: And the story lives on. It, of course, came back to the West End. It was so unbelievably successful. We just could not get enough of it. And <laughs> it must make you very, very proud. Of course, that production, but also, I believe it went to Canada and then is also... I think it played for a very limited time on Broadway and then of course the pandemic stopped it but I know it is going back and there's going to be a Broadway cast recording so there's going to be even more of us to be able to just take in and adore which for you I can imagine just makes you really proud.
1: Yeah it's 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 so nice to know that it's something that has such a life I mean again when you sometimes it can be hard when you're inside a project to really know like w- what it is you know and particularly with this because it was so esoteric you could feel it was it was special and it was it was sort of something that was going to be beautiful but you didn't really know what it was and even now like four years later I'm on this podcast going I don't even know what it was it's nice to know that despite that people still got it and there's still a space and a home for it around the world you know not not just here but in Canada and in the US and who knows maybe elsewhere it's really nice. And it, it was such a, it's such a big part of my life. I feel like just everything about it, the projects, the timing, the experience, the, the things that came after it as a result of it. Um, it's, it's such a huge part of my life, but it's, yeah, it's nice to know that other people were sort of building their own experiences on it as well.
2: Well, thank you for that moment. And most importantly from me, thank you so much for this moment. I mean, I much as I joke and I can be quite silly at the start like you have been a dream guest of mine for a significant amount of time so thank you so much for finding time in a very busy schedule to be able to come and talk to me today and just for your honesty it's such a pleasure and to get the opportunity to tell you how much I do adore your work and and some of the specific pieces is a real pleasure so thank you so so much
1: thank you thanks for having me and I'm going to tell everyone to call me goddess now yes And I'm going to say it's officially sanctioned by this podcast. So So if you get some emails from people being like, oh, what have you done? It's all gone to a head. Then I'm sorry. We'll have to fight me
2: first. Don't worry. It's Goddess MBE. It's either all or nothing. Okay, mark my words. It's a
1: full title or it's nothing. Or don't talk to me.
2: (laughs) Good luck with constellations, honestly. Not that you need it. And I'm actually coming to see you next week. So I absolutely cannot wait. But just thank you so much and best of luck. And I'll see you very soon.
1: Amazing. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth.
0: Hi, I'm Gloria Stelfan. This is Sarah Borellis. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.